0: But, I have to tell you what camp meeting speakers will do is they pull out their best sermons, little shoe polish on them, and present them but um, i 'm going to risk something this week i 'm preaching new stuff <laughs> i i 'm practically with with the series i 'm presenting this week, I'm practically inviting you into my kitchen. I'm, I'm still chopping veggies, I'm roasting tofu on the side, um, instead of microwaving um, the good old ones. And uh, I've taped a phrase into my Bible cover that will be our guiding quote for the week. I saw the theme, In Christ Alone. And I immediately thought of uh, sermons from the Apostle Paul. I thought about, I, I got a sermon on the cross I can do. But I was at a camp meeting several weeks ago in Germany. That's where my accent is from. But when I'm over there, I don't have an accent. But anyway, <laughs> well, I do now. <laughs> and uh, we were told which Bible texts to preach, which means we couldn't pull out old sermons. We had to develop new sermons, and they were all on the three angels' message. And so this week, I'm I'm translating them into English, I'm, I'm still cooking them, working on them. this week, we're going to look at Christ alone in Revelation 14. Let me read you a quote here. Testimonies, Volume Eight, Verse Twenty-Seven. The message of Revelation 14 is the message that we are to bear to the world. It is the bread of life for these last days. What I've planned here this week—I teach Bible at Southwestern Adventist University. Uh, also, head elder of a church plan. And uh, I I didn't grow up Seventh-day Adventist. So what I'm planning to do this week is today we will look at Revelation 14, verse 1. Tomorrow, Revelation 14, verse 2. Gene Ross will take the 144,000 Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon. I'll skip those. I've discovered something interesting. The question is not who they are. The question is... What are they like and what do they do? But I'll I'll leave that for uh, Pastor Gene Ross in the afternoons. And then on Wednesday, I have something very special planned for you. It's a 1.5 gigabyte PowerPoint presentation on the three angels message, Fearing God, Give Glory to Him and the Role of Creation in Our Message. Then on Thursday, we're going to go to DWI. Are you dwelling while intoxicated? (laughs) Babylon makes all nations drunk. And are you sipping on the wrong juice? That's Thursday night. Friday night, I'm going to share with you, I I was raised as a secular, postmodern, neo-pagan teenager in Europe. In a three angels message in Daniel Revelation is not supposed to attract secular society to the message. I mean, researchers tell us he, you got to take it easy on prophecy. you got to present Jesus first. Now think about that, Jesus first and then the prophecies, like there's no Jesus in the prophecies. But I'm going to show you how prophecy attracted this 17-year-old, I'm not 17 anymore, but this 17-year-old to the Seventh-day Adventist message through very unique circumstances. I, I'm reserving that for probably Friday evening. I'm going to see how the Spirit moves when I'll do that one. Sabbath morning, the patience of the saints. I've noticed Too many of my colleagues and members baptized during evangelistic series, etc., etc., leaving the movement right before the second coming. And so I'm going to address Revelation 14, verse 12, the, the patience of the saints, including Ellen White's very first vision when she was 17, December of 1844. And then uh, Saturday night, the two harvests. There's not just one. In Revelation 14, verse 15, the two harvests. So that's, that's my plan. The Holy Spirit is free to change all that tonight. But that's, that's my plan. So. Glad to be with you this evening. Let me have another word of prayer with you and then share with you some quotes. Why... We need to dig into Revelation chapter 14. But let me pray with you one more time. Father, most people that I'm looking at right now, I don't know. I know Jay and John and Mary Ann and Nancy. From all walks of life. Some fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventists, and some here just baptized a couple of years ago. And some maybe just stumbled upon this tent meeting. Father, I pray that these evening meetings, the afternoons, the early morning ones, our private worship time here, away from the city and electronics, I pray it will renew our conviction, conversion, and commitment to you. I pray we can hear this message loud and clear like the midnight cry coming from midheaven. I pray it will penetrate our sin-crusted hearts. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Salad and breadsticks. I gotta read to you some quotes, right? Right from the start. Okay, we're gonna have a lot of Bible here, but I gotta read you this. Uh, the first one is a Bible quote: Revelation twenty-two verse ten, and he said to me, "Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand." So the closer we get to the end, and uh, I'm, I'm about eight years from a discount at the IHOP now, and I noticed time accelerates in proximity to endpoints. And the verse is saying that as we approach the end, the book for sure will be unsealed. Now listen to this. Letter 87, 1896, or Evangelism, page 195. Now, I I did not grow up Seventh-day Adventist. I I stumbled upon this church, the workings of the Spirit later in life. There's a reason why I quote Ellen White. I think she was sent as a prophet to prepare a people for the second coming. And uh, just bear with me as I, I quote her. She says, the book of Revelation must be open to the people. The truth it contains must be proclaimed, that people may have an opportunity to prepare for the events which are soon to transpire. The prophecies of Daniel and of John are to be understood. Education, page 191, listen to this one. The book of Revelation, in connection with the book of Daniel, especially demands study. Let every God-fearing teacher consider how most clearly to comprehend and to present the gospel that our Savior came in person to make known to his servant John. Did you notice she calls the book of Revelation gospel? I have ex-SDA colleagues who've told me we focus too much on the sanctuary and the prophecies. We need to focus on Jesus. Have you ever seen our, our half-dome drawing that starts in 457 B.C. and ends up with 1844? You ever seen? Do you know what is in the precise center of that drawing? The cross of Jesus Christ. And she calls the book of Revelation the gospel that our Savior came in person to make known to his servant John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Revelation 1 verse 1. Notice that the book was given not to the Ph.D. scholar, not to the professor in his office. The book was given to people who are servants of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone will we understand the book. Now, Second Selected Messages, page 114. Uh, just allow me to, to saturate you with some quotes here in the beginning. I won't do that every evening, but uh, we were just getting warmed up Monday evening. Second Selected Messages, page 114. Men must themselves be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I've seen men under the influence. Not under the Holy Spirit, but we're going to talk about that on... Uh, Thursday, the the wine of Babylon. But here she's talking about under the influence of the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Spirit's utterances through the prophets. These messages were given not for those that utter the prophecies, but for us who are living amid the scenes of their fulfillment. When I got my doctorate, and that's probably the only time I'll mention that, here I'm Ingo. It's bingo without a B. I-N-G-O, INGO. But when I I worked on my doctorate, I had a professor there who said the book of Revelation was only written for the first century Christians. Not the case. This was written for us now. Every generation is potentially the last generation before the second coming. So we, we need to listen to it. There is need of much closer study of the Word of God, especially should Daniel and the Revelation have attention as never before in the history of our work. Testimonies, Volume 6, 128. Took me two years to read all those nine volumes. (laughs) The fifth one is thick. But you keep at it, turn every page every morning, and you'll get through it. It's a slap in the face and very comforting at the same time to read those testimonies. Volume 6, 128, the third angel's message. The great testing truth for this time is to be taught in all our institutions. God designs that through them, the special warning shall be given, and bright beams of light shall shine to the world. Time is short. The perils of the last days are upon us, and we should watch and pray and study and heed the lessons that are given us in the books of Daniel and Revelation. About 15 years ago, a church asked me to discuss prophecy every Sabbath during Sabbath school time. Have a special Sabbath school. And I thought, how am I going to fill 5-10 minutes which they wanted me to do every Sabbath on last day events? In my church plan, where I'm head elder right now, I, I spend about five, ten minutes every Sabbath on a prophecy spotlight. And guess what? I have too much material now. <laughs> the, so much happening in, in regards to prophecy and things happening in the world. Testimonies to Ministers, page 114. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. They will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. Wow. Watch this. Page 116, Testimonies to Ministers. Those who eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God will bring from the books of Daniel Revelation truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. They will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. The lips of children will be open to proclaim the mysteries that have been hidden from the minds of men. I was tempted to go to the... Uh, Right out here, the primary tent, but, but I was supposed to be here. Do you know she's saying one day primary will take place in here and the adults will still be listening? It has happened before in the Millerite movement. Check it out. Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Scandinavian countries. Eight years we're proclaiming the truth. We are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. By the way, my wife told me to take my sports coat off. I'm dressed one step from me mowing the yard. So I'm, I'm dressed for camp meeting. But, but, uh, but this is casual for me, okay? I don't know what I'll do Sabbath morning. But many of the prophecies are about to be fulfilled in quick succession. Every element of power is about to be set to work. Past history will be repeated. Old controversies will arouse to new life and peril will beset God's people on every side. Intensity is taking hold of the human family. It is permeating everything upon the earth. My non-church attending secular non-Bible reading father in Germany told me this summer that he can tell when he puts his fingers on the pulse of world politics that the world is changing. I don't think he would have said it 10 years ago. As we near the close of this world's history, the prophecies relating to the last days especially demand our study. The last book of the New Testament scriptures is full of truth that we need to understand. Last page. And by the way, this is printed with a printer that somebody donated to me at SoCal camp meeting last summer. Uh, praise God for that. A message that will arouse the churches is to be proclaimed. Testimonies to the minister, 117. Just a couple more quotes, and I'm going to dive into Revelation. Every effort is to be made to give the light, not only to our people, but to the world. I've been instructed that the prophecies of Daniel and the Revelation should be printed in small books with the necessary explanations should be sent all over the world. Our own people need to have the light placed before them in clear lines. The vision that Christ presented to John, presenting the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, is to be definitely proclaimed to all nations, people, and tongues. Last quote from this block here, Testimonies, Ministers 118. The perils of the last days are upon us. And in our work, we are to warn the people of the danger therein. Let not the solemn scenes, which prophecy has revealed, be left untouched. If our people were half awake, if they realized the nearness of the events portrayed in the Revelation, a reformation would be wrought in our churches, and many more would believe the message. We're talking about evangelism here. We have no time to lose. God calls upon us to watch for souls as they must Given account. So what I'm doing my church every Sabbath is I'm digging my way one phrase at a time through the book of Revelation right now. And I'm starting with chapter 14. Review and Herald October 13, 1904. She said the 14th chapter of Revelation is a chapter of deepest interest. This scripture will soon be understood in all its bearings and the message given to John the Revelator will be repeated with distinct utterance. And in 20 years of denominational work, I've never done it before. But 2015 is my responsibility now. I'm, I'm working through Revelation 14 with my church. Now, I've got to tell you something when I grew up. In 7th grade in Germany, you had to pick your second foreign language. In 3rd grade, we started learning English. The school bus is yellow. The weather is fine. The children are sitting in the school bus. That's that's how we started uh, English. And it's a hard language. You're, in English, your nose runs and your feet smell. <laughs> I mean, come on. You park in a driveway and you drive on a parkway. <laughs> Fifth grade, you either, you're still with the first language, English. Everybody has to learn English. Then you have to decide math, physics, science route, or you go the regular route, seventh grade, second foreign language. And then ninth grade, you continue science route or you add a third foreign language. Well, for most of us, the second foreign language was French. And I remember distinctly being scared to death of French 101 in seventh grade. You see, Frau Koch, that was her name, Frau Koch, short lady, choleric, she would come in No smile whatsoever, and right at the beginning of French lessons, she would scan the class with with x-ray penetrating eyes for about a minute, death silence. And she would pick not two students, but two victims. that had to come forward, and it was no true, false, multiple choice. Oh, no, no, no. You had to know your stuff, conjugate verbs and vocabulary and grammar and direct objects and and prepositional phrases. And and she would grill you, not to see what you knew, but to find what you didn't know. And she didn't give any hints or helps or anything, and then... um, you got your grade, sit down, and then it was the next one, and we, the other one sat in silence. And there was the first ten minutes of class. We were not allowed to write anything the first few weeks of French lesson. Uh, first word we learned was la fenêtre, the window. And then we had to learn a sentence without writing it down. Poor Jürgen, it was Christmas time again. My buddy Jürgen, he became a psych major later on in life. He was called forward, and Frau Koch asked him to write on the chalkboard. We, we had chalkboards back then. Was asked to write on the chalkboard the following sentence. Jay, are you ready? Right here. And I even misspelled this one. Oh, no. Is Frau Koch here? There's a hyphen right between the T and the C. But the sentence that we were asked to write on the chalkboard during the quiz, where well, it was one student named Jürgen, was quest que'." Now, you see how it's spelled. Think about writing this without ever having written down the sentence. In French, we joke, we write sausage, but we say cheese. You know, it doesn't sound anything like the word Looks like, no. So here's Jurgen standing at the chalkboard, and he starts with a K. Bad mistake. Kes, K-E-S-S, and then something. Well, he, um, he got a zero. Sit down. Next student, c'est? We couldn't do it. And how do you spell c'est in French? Sit down. Two zeros in one day. Frau Koch was not very happy. Next class period, Jürgen got called up front again, and Frau Koch told him, Jürgen. Right on the chalkboard, Second chance. You're Americans. You get three strikes. We got two. <laughs> two strikes and you're out. He couldn't write it. Two zeros in a row. And then, you know, I'm going to have to stereotype. You know the... I'm stereotyping... Do you know the 4.0 girl type that's going to go to med school? <laughs> yeah, Frau Koch, she had enough. She called one of those girls up who wrote, kes, kes, eh? You know, 4.0, 100%. And she looked at the rest of it like, She can do it. What's wrong with you? Okay. Now, do you know our psychological strategy? This is the book of Revelation. I, I'm, I'm coming there in just a second. Do you know our psychological strategy to avoid being called up front? What do you think we did in class when Frau Koch came in to avoid getting called up front? Look exactly. Look down, look out the window, you know, pretty good day. I did my homework. You don't have to call me. I know this stuff, but we, we did not make eye contact. Because eye contact meant that Frau Koch might have an idea to call up bingo, which she did. <laughs> we, we avoided eye contact because we knew the news would be bad. Uh, you can go ahead and turn that off. That's the only slide you get tonight. <laughs> no slides tomorrow night, 150 slides Wednesday night. Revelation chapter 14. I noticed something interesting. Yeah, if you turn that off, I'll save you about 20 hours of light bulb. (laughs) $400. Before I read to you Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Do you know what is happening in Revelation 12 and Revelation 13? If you glance over Revelation chapter 12, I'm not going to pick a particular verse, but my eyes just catching um, verse two. There's a woman crying in labor pain. I'm looking at verse three of Revelation 12. There's a great fiery red dragon. There are 10 horns. There's a tail. Drawing the stars to the earth, Satan ruined 33.33% of the angels. I continue looking at verse 12. There's a baby born. There's a dragon who wants to eat the baby. Cannibalism in the book of Revelation. Devil wants to eat Jesus alive. There's a woman who has to flee into the wilderness. There's a time of persecution. We understand that to be 1,260 years long. You ever had a bad day? 1,260 years of having a hard time. Do you know the dates for those, by the way? 5.38 all the way to the French Revolution, 1798. That is a a long time. I keep looking here. There's a dragon who has the audacity to fight against Jesus Christ himself. Michael. Michael is Jesus' name within the great controversy. I know that's debated. But Then there's a dragon. Then there's a devil. Then he's called Satan. Then there's the entire world that is deceived. Angels cast out. There is persecution to the point of death. I read the words dragon, wrath, enraged, make war. Then I go to Revelation 13, beast rising up out of the earth, Europe. Thank you very much. Out of the sea. Then there's a beast. Then there are heads. Then there's a wound healed. Then there's dragon worship. Then there's blasphemies. Then there's a reminder of the 1260 years, worded as 42 months um i see the word killing killed with a sword then one beast is not enough revelation 13 verse 11 there's another beast coming out of the earth two horns speaks like a lamb well it so looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon total deception authority uh 13 fire coming down 14 uh, an image, a sword, death penalty, mark of the beast, and then we end up in verse 18. Before we get to chapter 14, here's wisdom. Let him who had to understand and calculate the number of the beast for its number is the number of a man. His number is 666. By the way, I hear a lot of fancy interpretations now that 666 is one number short of seven, and it's a trinity three times the, w- the number six. That doesn't really work because the, the text says it is 666. It is not six and another six and another six. It is 666. Our traditional interpretation still works. I think. But but if you take a look at Revelation 12 and 13, by that time, I'm wondering if John is saying, I don't want to look up anymore. I don't want to make eye contact because it is bad news, bad news, bad news. And in Revelation 12 and 13, it goes from worse to worse. And and before things will get worse, they're going to get worse. That's Revelation twelve and thirteen. It's bad. It is war, it is death penalty, it is Jesus attacked, and it lasts twelve hundred and sixty years, and before the end it's gonna get worse again. I don't want to look again. But I want to show you a secret here. And and God is gracious in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14 is not the final chapter, but before the final chapter, He shows us the final chapter. Do you know what God is doing in Revelation chapter 14? He allows us a peek behind the curtain. He allows us to take a look at the last chapter, and when things could not get worse, He tells John, I want you to take another look and watch what you see before the book is even coming to an end. An encouragement in the midst of a total crisis. And I think what John is describing here globally happening is good news for our personal lives. At the moment when you do not want to take another look, Jesus says, I want you to take another look. And lo and behold, do you know what John sees next? Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked. When life has served so much hardship and pain that I didn't want to take another look. But Revelation 14, verse 1 says, Then I looked and behold. And when Revelation says, behold. That is like taking a highlighter, 72 font, bold print, red flashlights, saying, pay attention to this. I know it's been dark the last two chapters. But God is turning on the spotlights and it says, Then I look, comma, and behold, comma, and what does he see next? A lamb. The lamb. If you think it can't get worse, you've been surrounded by the dragon. The devil is after you and the lights are turned off." I want you to take another look. And right in the center, in the heartbeat of Revelation here, I mean, the great controversy is raging. Chapter 12 and 13. Ending with 666. God says, I want you to see Jesus. Now, here's something interesting. What is the Lamb doing? standing. We're going to take this thought by thought, phrase by phrase. We're not, we're not going to take the time right now. you are very dangerous. You, you left me without a clock. <laughs> we're not going to do it, but if you look through the book of Revelation, do you know what happens to the Lamb in the rest of the book of Revelation? The Lamb that is slain, not standing, Everywhere else, the lamb is slain and it looks like it is over and the lamb is finished. You went to the sanctuary with the lamb as a sinner. What happened to the lamb? It died. Not only that, it got cut up. I had a theology major at Southwestern that uh, paid for his college by running a vegetarian restaurant and on the sign, he was a professional butcher a meat cutter my sons and i watched him take a deer apart in 20 minutes sharp knife he also said he found cancer in the deer and rotten grass and anyway but the lamb got taken apart not only that it got put on the altar the lamb got burned parts got separated And on your way as a saved sinner, you could probably still see and smell the smoke rising from the altar, and the Lamb ceased to exist. That's the Lamb. Now let me ask you something. What is the only way for the Lamb to stand after the Lamb had been slain. You got it. Resurrection. So what God is saying here at the worst moment of human history, let me show you what happened to the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain, but is now standing. This standing is highly significant. I'm going to just show you a couple examples here. What time is it? Alright. <laughs> All right. My wife will go like this when it's time. <laughs> Daniel chapter twelve, verse one. <clears throat> uh, I'll just show you a couple examples what what the standing actually means. See we, we read too fast. Last summer I read the Bible cover to cover in ninety days. P ninety X PX 90. What what is that exercise? It was a good experience, but I missed so much reading so fast. So we're going to slow down and, and chew on every little phrase here. Standing, standing. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time. At what time? At that time. At the end. At the worst possible human experience. It's the end time. At some time. At at some time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. At that time, your people shall be delivered. What does it mean for the Lamb to stand? Deliverance. It is God saying at some point, enough is enough, I'm going to stand up for you, and I will put an end to the human misery and to the entire sin problem. When, when Nancy and I moved to Keene, uh, I was a pastor in San Antonio, and we were buying a house, and at the last walkthrough, the owner was there, and she asked me, what do you do for a living? I don't say professor because then people say, oh, okay. I, I usually say pastor. And then there might be a conversation. I said, I'm a preacher. She said, oh, I can't do that God stuff. How can God allow these children starving in Africa? Yeah, we need to do everything to defeat the children in Africa. And I can promise you what? God does not want children starving in Africa or in the United States or in Germany. And at some point, God will say... No more starving children in Africa. And it is when when Michael stands up. Let me show you another one. One uh, Old Testament example, one in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7. Stephen just preached a lawsuit sermon against the people of God. You see, in prophecy... The Messiah, the Anointed One, came. Daniel chapter nine, that is A.D. thirty-one. Now, I because of my accent, I think I have students who misunderstand, and on a test they write A.D. thirty-one, eight zero thirty-one, <laughs> and, and then I have to explain A. anno domini thirty-one. That's the crucifixion. The Messiah coming is three and a half years before. Then A.D. 27, and then God in his mercy said, I'm going to give them two three-and-a-halves, adding up to seven. And in AD 34, after another three-and-a-half years of of preaching, Stephen preaches. The people of Israel are listening, and now they pick up stones and declare their own verdict. Now watch what happens. Right at the moment of this preaching. Acts seven, fifty one, You stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have not re- who have received the law by the direction of angels, and have not kept it. When they heard these things. They were cut to the heart. And the, the word pierced. In Greek is you take a knife. You stab somebody and twist it a little. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Happened to my life at the age of 17. Come back Friday night. I'll tell you all about it. They were cut to the heart. Pricked. They gnashed at him with their teeth. He, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Now watch this. Verse 55. When Jesus died, he went to heaven to do what? Physically. Well, to, to sit at the right hand of the Father. To sit. Acts seven fifty-five. 55. What, what is Jesus doing? Standing at the right hand of God. So we have evidence that at the moment of the stoning of Stephen, a, a prophetic time comes to an end, to an end. The four hundred ninety years from four fifty seven B.C. all the way to thirty four A.D. is four hundred ninety years, and Jesus rises as judge. You ever been to court? You may remain seated, but all rise. Okay. That means court is in session. And what we find then in the book of Acts, at the moment where Stephen is stoned, there's a verdict taking place and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. Do you know where the phrase Son of Man comes from? Daniel chapter 7, 13, where Jesus approaches the Father in 1844 and moves into the most holy place. I'm serving you concentrated OJ. Just add water throughout the week. All right. But the 1844 son of man is, is, is standing up and saying. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Back to Revelation chapter 14. I want you to notice something else. My sermon tomorrow, but I'm going to give you a a little taste of it. I I let you stick your finger in the dough. and Then I looked and behold a lamb standing. Where? Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion? Israel. That's right. It's a part of Jerusalem. That's one option. In the Bible, Mount Zion can be the entire country of Israel, and Mount Zion can be what else? Heaven and New Jerusalem. Now watch this. I always thought it's all about Jesus, and it is. In Christ alone, period. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 does not put a period there. I know about punctuation in English because I had to learn it in third grade. Comma, period. What comes after the comma and the lamb standing on Mount Zion? Don't miss it. Comma, and what's the next phrase? With him. Now, let me tell you a secret. Don't ever forget this. The lamb was slain. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 9, there are souls under the altar. Those are slain martyrs. They are dead, but their voice still speaks. They cry out, how much longer this injustice on planet Earth God. They are slain with the same Greek verb that the Lamb was slain. What happens to Christ will happen to Christians. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, during this persecution at 1260, guess what happened to Christians? They were slain. They were martyred. What will happen in the time of trouble? There will be people who will be slain. What happens to Christ happens to his people. But check out the comma. We always talk about the thief on the cross, and the comma is in the wrong place. You know, I promise you today, comma. Here's another comma. If there is a comma, and Christ is no longer slain, but he stands, and there's a comma, and it says, and with him, what does that mean? That means slain as bad as it is. is never a period in your life, it is only a comma. What happened to Christ, is what happens to Christians. And if he was slain and stands, we might be slain, but we can stand as well. On... Friday, I'm going to share a text with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Do you know that text? It was my conversion text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Then I got to read you 13. I got to read you some quotes. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, one way or another, maybe even slain, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, slain and standing, slain and rose again, even so in the same way, math equals sign, God will bring with him from the grave those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, I'm saving the rest for Friday. What happened to Christ, Paul is saying, will happen to you. Now, I was studying my Sabbath school lesson <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. Do you study your Sabbath school lesson? It was on Captain Naaman. And um, I'm, I'm reading the quote, and then my eyes got big. That's from just uh, three weeks ago. Captain Naaman. Prophets and Kings, page 590. Listen to this. God's faithful praying ones are, as it were, shut in with Him, in Christ alone. They themselves know not how securely they are shielded, urged on by Satan. The rulers of this world are seeking to destroy them. There will be slain ones. But could the eyes of God's children be opened as were the eyes of Elisha's servant at Dothan? They would see angels of God encamped about them, holding in check the hosts of darkness. The faithful life, she says the word encamped, the faithful life of the Christian is a non-stop camp meeting with angels camped round about you. My eyes got big. She says, As people of God afflict their souls before Him, pleading for purity of heart, the command is given, take away the filthy garments, and the encouraging words are spoken. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Amen. Gift from God. The spotless robe of Christ's righteousness is placed upon the tried, tempted, faithful children of God, the despised remnant are clothed in glorious apparel, never more to be defiled by the corruptions of the world. Their names are retained in the books of life, the Lamb's book of life, enrolled among the faithful of the angel ages. They have resisted the wiles of the deceiver. They have not been turned from their loyalty by the dragon's roar. Now they are eternally secure from the tempter's devices. Their sins are transferred to the originator of sin, while Satan has been urging his accusations, holy angels unseen have been passing to and fro. Here it comes. Placing upon the faithful ones the seal of the living God. These are they that, guess what, stand upon Mount Zion with the Lamb having the Father's name written on their foreheads, direct quote from Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Do you know what God is telling us in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 and 2? If the Lamb made it, you will too one day. Do not give up. He's showing us the final chapter ahead of time. Now i got to close on something. If that is the case, what do you think we ought to do before we behold him on Mount Zion in heaven? I got to show you something, what happens when people behold Jesus Christ while they're still around on the ground. John chapter 1, ministry of Jesus. John chapter 129. I'm I'm thinking dark means end of sermon. That might be a good rule of thumb for me this week. John chapter 129. That means I'll I'll stop a little sooner every day. Maybe. John 121. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold. Same word from Revelation chapter 14. Behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 34, I've seen testified that this is the Son of God. Now watch what happens when people behold Jesus Christ on earth. Verse 35, again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now he could have easily said, straightening out his tie, that's a good preacher too, but stay in my church. John is about to ruin his church membership. Whoever spoke before me has bigger ears than I do. I'll, I'll tighten it up tomorrow. <clears throat> John one thirty six, Looking at Jesus as he walked. <laughs> Are you doing that every day in your life? Looking at Jesus as he walked i got to tell you, my life is complicated. i got human situations in my ministry that I don't have an answer or a solution, a solution for. Don't know what to do. But I'm watching Jesus as he walked. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they do what? They followed Jesus. Beholding Jesus will change your behavior. Beholding Jesus on earth will change who you follow. Second step. You know the quote. By beholding, we become changed. I'm going to read that quote to you. It's too good to be passed up. Beholding changes our behavior. Beholding will change your identity. Listen to this. Christ's Object Lesson 355. Looking unto Jesus. We obtain brighter and more distinct views of God. And by beholding, we become changed. Goodness, love for our fellow men, becomes our natural instinct. We develop a character, which is the counterpart of the divine character. Growing into his likeness, we enlarge our capacity for knowing God. More and more we enter into fellowship with the heavenly world, and we have continually increasing power to receive the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of eternity. Case study. Abraham and Isaac went on a three-day journey. And I'm imagining that the journey got a little quiet at some point. Abraham knew what he was supposed to do. Isaac did not. And at some point in Genesis 22, Isaac asked his father, We got the wood. Where's the lamb? And by faith... (coughs) Abram says, God will provide the lamb. And I don't know if you've ever noticed in that story. It says in verse um, 8, I think, Genesis 2, verse 8, when Abram hinted that there will be a lamb that they could not see, but Abram knew that there had to be, the two, father and son, continued... The God-defined journey together all the way to the end. We cannot fully see it right now, the Lamb, but by faith, trusting God, He will provide the Lamb. He did on the cross, He will at the second coming. You can continue the journey all the way to the second coming. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And somebody during the ministry of Jesus Christ had that opportunity face to face, and they missed the moment. John chapter 19, verse 5, and then I'll pray with you. Pilate went before the crowd and announced, Behold, he got the word right, the man. He only said the man. And he had five minutes, an hour to ponder Jesus Christ as he walked. And he let the crowd decide instead of making his own decision. And he stands before the crowd and he says, behold, he got the behold right. And he got the man right. But he did not follow his convictions. I want to pray tonight. I I don't know how long you've been Seventh-day Adventist, or if you're Baptist Catholic, or a quiet closet atheist. I don't know you. But I pray heaven forbid you replay the mistake of Pilate having an opportunity, standing before Jesus Christ, And missing the Messiah. I'm not calling anybody forward. You're not filling out a card as far as as I know. You're not signing up for anything. But if you'd like, you can hide in the crowd, but quietly cry out to God and say, God, I would like to behold Jesus Christ. Thank you no signing, no coming forward, quietly where where you're sitting, you're going to stand. Because the book of Revelation said, we at one point will stand. Why not practice it now? And if we're going to behold the Lamb standing on Mount Zion in the future, maybe you can start beholding Jesus Christ on a sawdust ground underneath a tent. Let's stand together and pray that we can behold Jesus Christ even before the second coming. Father, we stand before you. We've watched a lamb standing on bonsai. We saw you stand at the moment of Stephen's stoning. We read about Michael standing up for his people. And now, in turn, in thankfulness and eternal gratitude, we stand before you. As an appeal, as a pledge, as a sign, that we would like one day not stand on the beautiful grounds of a Tahoe Tahoe campground, but quote, Bible quote, stand with him on Mount Zion. I'm not praying for the 20, 30 year church member, fourth generation, solidly grounded in the doctrines and a devotional time every day, I want to specifically pray right now for the struggling soul hiding among a bunch of Adventists here during camp meeting, but not settled in their faith in you. Father, at this moment, I pray for a conversion in the heart. A quiet conversion that at some point will be visible, but not right now. Secretly, a change taking place in the eternal destiny of a fellow human being is my prayer right now. Struggling soul, I'm praying for you. Surrender. Standing before Almighty God saying, take my eternal destiny, take my life and death, Thank you for settling it on the cross. And please allow me to stand in the resurrection with the other faithful believers. Father, there's somebody here. Let your Holy Spirit move unbeknownst to us between them and God changing from hell to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for granting us a glimpse, a pulling aside the curtain of what the future will be. Humanity saved. Those who believe standing with the Lamb one day. And all we can say, with not much to offer except filthy rags, thank you, Jesus Christ. In Christ alone we stand. And in Christ alone we pray. Amen.